The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Luke chapter 7 is our text this morning. We've been in a series called Basic Training, and basic training is what it is. There's no hidden meaning in the title of the sermon series we've been in. It's the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus is early in his ministry here in Luke chapter 7. Some extraordinary things have happened. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is preaching in the synagogues. The people are amazed at his preaching and teaching. Some people are confused by his preaching and teaching. He's asked 12 men to follow him as his disciples. And there's tremendous intrigue over Jesus. He's doing things that other people can't do. There's also tremendous confusion over Jesus as well. In fact, there's confusion because he's saying some things that only God himself would say. In fact, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've seen Jesus say things like, your sins are forgiven. And so there's intrigue over Jesus. There's confusion over Jesus. There's also anger about Jesus, particularly from the religious leaders who are observing everything Jesus is saying. Jesus and his disciples are not living up to their religious traditions. And so people are being healed. People are following. The crowds are swelling around Jesus. He's saying some outrageous things. The religious elite are mystified about Jesus and his authority and his wisdom. And everything we see up until this point is building. It's building to this moment, and it's resulting in a tremendous amount of doubt. There's doubt happening here in a passage we're going to study this morning in Luke chapter 7. Is Jesus really who he said he was? Is Jesus the savior of the world? Jesus is doubt dealing here in Luke chapter 7. He's going to deal with doubt in people who've been following him, people who are watching him, the religious elite of the day. He's going to deal with doubt in Luke chapter 7. So the question this morning is, well, where's the doubt coming from? Is the doubt coming from the religious leaders who can't stand him? No, the doubt's not coming from them. Is the doubt coming from people who've been healed by Jesus and they're confused over what's happened? It's not coming from them. Is the doubt coming from the crowds who are just curious and are following Jesus and trying to find out who he really is? No, the doubt is not coming from them either. There's doubt that's coming from all three of those groups here. There's no doubt that there is doubt coming from those three. But Jesus is dealing with doubt here in Luke chapter 7 from someone who knows him really, really well. In fact, Jesus is going to deal with doubt here with the person who baptized him. Jesus is dealing with doubt here with a man called John the Baptist. You know, people have always doubted Jesus. They've always doubted whether or not Jesus was God in the flesh, whether or not Jesus is the savior of the world. Even when Jesus' ministry was completed, we see in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has, has run the course of his ministry. He's, he's been crucified. He's been buried. He rose on the third day, and Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. When his ministry was completed, we even saw doubt in Matthew chapter 28, verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But look at the last part of verse 17. But some doubted him. Did you get that? 
Even people who have been following Jesus for years, even people who have been in the crowds, even people who have heard some of the most intimate things that Jesus said and some of the most intimate things Jesus did, people who watched Jesus die, people who saw the resurrected Jesus, even some of them doubted. You understand doubt has followed Jesus everywhere. Doubt follows Jesus everywhere he goes here in the book of Luke. Doubt follows Jesus through the ages. Doubt follows Jesus even into this auditorium this morning. Doubt follows Jesus from those who are in the outer crowds, those who are in the inner circle. Doubt follows Jesus. Even today, there's no lack of doubt about whether or not Jesus is the only son of of God. And there are people in every church, and maybe even here at Story City Church this morning, and may I say, you and your doubts are welcome here this morning. But one 20th century theologian once said, doubt is not the opposite of faith, it's one element of faith. If we were honest in this auditorium this morning, we would say, Doubt still exists. There are many people who still doubt who Jesus is. Would you agree with that statement this morning? Even Muslims doubt who Jesus was. They said he was a prophet. They even said he was a great prophet, even though he was a failed prophet. He certainly wasn't a prophet on the level of someone like Muhammad. You consider liberal religious theologians would look at Jesus and they would say Jesus was important to human history, but they wouldn't go so far as to say that Jesus was the actual son of God. You watch TV shows today, you watch the History Channel, you watch PBS, they'll state the same premise. Jesus is important to history, but Jesus is not the son of God. In fact, PBS had a show a couple years ago called From Jesus to Christ. The essence of that show was that Jesus was in fact an historical person, but it was the early Christians who made up the part about him being God. It was never Jesus' intention is what they would say. Well, maybe even here at Story City Church this morning, maybe you don't fully embrace the Jesus the way we fully embrace Jesus. Maybe you don't believe the Jesus that we believe here. Maybe this morning as we're singing songs, you, you weren't really singing the songs. You weren't really embracing those songs. Maybe you were trying to understand those songs this morning. Well, can I say, maybe you're here and you're just trying to understand. And maybe you've come and, and you're happy to explore Jesus. And I just want to say to you, I'm glad you're here wherever you are on the journey. Whether you're in this auditorium or listening online later, I'm glad you're here. But maybe some of you this morning have doubts. I want you to understand this, that even great men and women of faith have struggled with doubts. Listen, you put someone through a difficult time in their life, a difficult season in their life, and I promise you, there is a propensity to doubt Jesus, to doubt what he said, to doubt the promises that he gives to us. And by the way, that's okay as well. But here's what I want to posture to us as we journey into Luke chapter 7, verse 18 this morning. I believe God wants us to have certainty about who he is. I believe God wants us to have certainty that he is the only son of God. And if doubts, according to one 20th century theologian, 
are not are just one element of faith, I believe God wants to use that, even your doubts, as a starting point, as a launching point, listen, for faith. I believe he wants us to be certain about who he is. Can I encourage you to do something as we jump into the scripture this morning? I want to encourage you to not see doubt as something that, that causes faith to dissipate. I want to encourage you to see doubt as something, rather, that will fuel our faith. Doubt shouldn't extinguish our faith. Doubt should fuel our faith. And we're going to see that here in Luke chapter 7 today. Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples of John. He's having a conversation with the disciples of John, and and John's having doubt about who Jesus was, and Jesus is going to answer his doubt, and Jesus' answer to John here in Luke chapter 7 is not just an answer to John, but Jesus' answer is an answer to every believer who has come after John as well, and even to many of you in this room today. God wants us to have certainty about who he is. And so despite your doubts, I believe, I really believe you can be absolutely certain that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I want to preach a message this morning titled Doubt Dealing. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18. Now, if you, if you come here frequently, you know how this typically works. We like to go verse by verse here. I'll typically walk through the scripture and then I'll give you the point. I want to give you the point up front. Can I do that? If you've got something to write with, take some notes this morning. I want to give you, I've got three and I, I've got a Smokey and the Bandit sermon this morning. I've got a long ways to go in a short time to get there. But uh, we may not get through all of it this morning. And I've got three reasons why you can have absolute certainty that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Let me give you the first one. You can have no doubt that Jesus is the Savior of the world. How? By looking at what God is doing. Verse 18, the Bible says, John's disciples told him about all these things. What are all these things? All these things are everything that Jesus is doing. If you were here last week, one of those things that Jesus was doing was he was raising a dead man to life. And so John's disciples report back to John, this is what's going on. And so calling two of them, verse 19, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Can you see John's doubts here? According to John chapter 3, John is already in prison. John is biding his time because what we know is John is about to die. He's about to be put to death. He's about to have his head chopped off, literally. And so he sends messengers. He sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you who you say you are? John is having doubts. Now listen, we need to understand the why behind John's doubts. It's important to us this morning. We need to know the why to his doubts. Why? Because in John chapter 1, listen, according to John chapter 1, John's out in the wilderness. He's in the desert, and he's baptizing, and he's declaring that that there's a coming Messiah. There's one coming after him who will be greater. His name would be the Messiah. And so Jesus shows up, and the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, when John sees Jesus coming to him out in the desert, where John is baptizing, where John is declaring with incredible certainty 
John declares the man he sees is God himself. John 1.29, this is what he said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he. And so in John chapter 1, John the Baptist has got this incredible certainty about who Jesus is. And we get to Luke chapter 7, and John's having doubts. John's having doubts. Doubts, and now he's sending his disciples out to Jesus to verify, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? You have to wonder, why is John asking the question? I believe it comes down to one word. I believe it comes down to one idea, and that one word is expectations. John had expectations. In other words, Jesus wasn't turning out to be who John expected him to be. Before we go any further this morning, can I just ask you, can I just pose this question to you? How often do you have expectations of God and how you expect him to work in your life and when he doesn't work in your life the way you expected him to work, how often are you also disappointed? I think we can resonate this morning with John's question. I think we can resonate this morning with how John is feeling, and because we can resonate with him, I I really think John deserves a little bit of a pass here because we can identify with him. I want you to remember who John was. John had this calling on his life that was different than every one of his friends that he grew up with. John had a calling to, to be out in the wilderness, to be in the desert. John had a calling to separate himself, to live in the desert, to herald the coming of God, and John preached This incredibly fiery message about the kingdom of God is coming. And so humanity should repent. This is what John's preaching. And if you don't repent, it's not going to go well for you. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus' preaching is a little bit different from John's preaching. Listen, there's still a little bit of sharpness in Jesus' message. In fact, particularly when you read the words that Jesus has to say to the religious leaders, you see some sharpness to his message. But overall, Jesus' approach is a lot different than John's. Listen, uh, it's not, his preaching is not like, you know, judgment is imminent. John's message is pressing. John's message feels like a street preacher. It's a little bit fiery. He's shouting. If he had a pulpit, he'd be slapping the pulpit. But Jesus shows up, and he appears to be a little bit different. Jesus is gathering people around him. Jesus is reasoning with people. Jesus is telling stories, trying to illustrate application. And here John is sitting in prison because of his fiery approach to the message. In fact, he's in prison because he had a fiery message to Herod the great son, one of his sons, and he told Herod the great son, what you're doing. In fact, he was in the, in the midst of adultery. He said, your adultery is wrong. And so John is in prison. And John is saying, this is not exactly the the way I had expected. And so we asked Jesus, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus, are you the Messiah? And I want you to understand something this morning. I, I, please, I want you to see John's doubts, not as something that's negative here in this text. I want you to see John's doubts as something positive here. I mean, 
We have to appreciate the fact that John even asked, right? We have to appreciate that John asked. This isn't negative doubt that John's bringing to Jesus. John's got the humility and he's saying, I'm not seeing this, Jesus. I I really want to know. There's an element of faith in John's question. Don't you see it? There's an element of faith here. He's got enough faith to at least ask Jesus. He's got enough faith to to try to understand. He's got enough faith to try to wonder if what I'm seeing is wrong. And so the question that he poses to Jesus, it sounds sounds more like this. Jesus, this this really isn't working out the way I I had pictured it and the way I thought it would go. Just Just let me know, Jesus, if you are the one. If there needs to be correction in the way I'm thinking, Jesus, you can do that. I I just need to know. John could have written Jesus off completely. John could have said, you know, it's not what I thought it was. And he, he could have just gone his own way, never given Jesus attention again. But listen, but he asked because of his doubts. He asked because of his doubts. And can I say to you this morning, when you ask because of your doubts, it leads us to faith. Can you write this down in your doubts this morning? This may help you. When I doubt, I should ask. When I doubt, I should ask. Jesus answers John's question in verse 21 and 22. And when we read verse 21 here in just a moment, it's going to seem like Jesus is ignoring John's question. But what he does is his answer. Look at verse 21. At that very time, what do you mean? Well, John's disciples have come and asked Jesus a question. John said, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And at that very time, in other words, when John's disciples are in front of him, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. Verse 22, so he replied to the messengers, go back. And report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. (laughs) This is Jesus' answer. This is his answer. He says, "This this is what I've been up to. This is what I've been doing since I left John. I've been healing. I've been doing all of these things. And then he does what he's been doing one more time, and he does it in front of John's disciples. Now, look, we don't have to unpack all of the miracles that Jesus does here in this moment. We don't have to parse them and go one by one and try to figure out a meaning here. We can simply understand something incredible is happening. There are some things that are not normal here. This is not usual. This is not a usual occurrence. And everything that's happening in front of them would be part of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, everything that happens in front of them is the fulfillment of just one of over 300 prophecies about Jesus, but it's specifically the fulfillment of Isaiah 61.1. The scripture says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And so the Old Testament spoke of all of these things happening. And so as we look around, and if the Old Testament spoke of these things happening, listen, and now it's happening. (laughs) 
then you just got to do some simple math here. You, you just got to add up everything you're saying. If the Old Testament said this was going to happen and now it's happening, we got to do some simple math and it all adds up to Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world is among us. And John had to conclude that. And John's disciples had to conclude that. And Jesus' disciples had to conclude that. And the crowds had to conclude that. And we have to conclude that. Well, Pastor Matt, that's great for John's disciples who were standing in front of Jesus. And that's great for Jesus' disciples who are watching everything that's happening. And that's great for John himself and those who are following Jesus and seeing all of this. But what I want to know is, Matt, what about now? I see so many things that God is doing now. The question I want to ask you in this auditorium this morning, if you're listening online some other way, what do you see God doing now? Where do you see God working What do you see God up to? In spite of your doubts this morning, what does the evidence tell you about God? I want you to consider some of the evidence of the work of God, some evidence of the work of the gospel in the last 2,000 years. I know some of you don't have a memory that long, but just bear with me for a moment. Jesus, when he died, when he was buried, when he rose to the right hand of the Father, he left his ministry to approximately 120 people, give or take some. In other words, it wasn't many. When Jesus left, he left his ministry to just a few. Over the last 2,000 years, there are untold billions and billions with a B of people who have believed and who have lived for Jesus. I want you to consider some of the evidence this morning. By the second century, history tells us Christians had developed significant infrastructure to begin caring for the sick. In 250 AD, there's a devastating plague that's spreading throughout Western Europe. And the church responds by expanding its program of benevolence. In the 4th century, John Christentum Christentum tells us that the great church in Antioch supported 3,000 widows and unmarried women, as well as the sick and the poor and the travelers. Today, do you understand this? Christians are the single largest healthcare providers in the world by far. Most hospitals in the world Most clinics around the world are founded by those who profess faith in Jesus. I want you to consider some of the evidence this morning. The single largest education provider in the world by far are evangelicals and Catholics. Consider some of the evidence this morning. Listen, I know in today's world, the work of of human rights is not in favor of Christians today. It's just the opposite of how it once was. Today, the work of human rights actually is pushing us into the darkness and us into the corners. But I want you to understand this. The work of human rights has its origin. The origin of human rights has its roots in a Judeo-Christian ethic and culture. The best example in our country is what we just celebrated this past week is Martin Luther King Jr. I want you to consider the evidence this morning. Democracy, democracy, our form of government. And democracy is founded out of the roots of Christianity. (laughs) I want you to consider the evidence this morning, the abolition of slavery in the Western world is the work 
of Christians, particularly men named Wilberforce and Newton, men who loved Jesus. Consider the evidence when a disaster happens in our world, particularly when a disaster happens in our country, when a disaster happens in our state, be it fires or earthquakes or whatever it may be. There are three primary organizations that respond, the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, and yes, Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, of which, by the way, is just as large as those other two. Three organizations that were founded by Christians with Christian principles. Consider the evidence this morning of the work of God and the work of the gospel, the YMCA, just a block away from us, even though uh, it, the YMCA has departed from its original founding. Jeez, and there's a whole sermon for that. It makes me angry. But it was founded to teach men, young men, how to study the Bible. It was founded to teach them how to live a holistic life. Consider the evidence this morning. How many of you participate in a child sponsorship program? You sponsor someone in Haiti or Africa or Asia. My wife and I have participated in this for years. Child sponsorship programs around the world were, were by far and away founded by those who love Jesus Christ. This is the influence of the gospel. We're counting the evidence this morning. We're looking at the work of God. We're seeing how God has been shaping the world through Jesus and through his people. And this is God doing what only God can do. And that's great, Pastor Matt. But what about personally? What about me? What proofs does Jesus offer me in response to, to my doubts? What, what is God doing in the people I know? Well, I'd just love to tell you, and there's not enough time, but even in this auditorium, there are stories of the movement of God. There are stories of marriages that are literally on the brink of disaster, and that's understating it, on the brink of disaster, and Jesus stepped in and has restored and renewed hope. There are stories in this room, in this very room, of people addicted to pain pills, but God has given freedom. There are people in this room, sorry if I'm spitting on you, I didn't mean to. I feel like John the Baptist this morning. People in this room who are abused, some people abused sexually by people they knew very, very well, but God saved them and has given their life purpose. People in this very room whose marriages have gone through the painful experience of adultery, but the light of Christ has stepped in and it shines brightly and has given hope to those marriages. People in our Story City family who have experienced the pain of grief to the extent of having friends, yes, friends and family members murdered. But the grace of God has found them hope in Jesus Christ alone. When you see, when you hear about God doing what only God can do, it causes faith to dissipate. It causes, I'm sorry, it causes, doesn't cause faith to dissipate. It causes doubt to dissipate. And it increases our faith. But can I say to you this morning, when you allow your expectations to sway you and to shape you, when you allow your expectations about who Jesus is and what he should do for you, when you allow those expectations to sway you, I promise you, Jesus will eventually offend you. 
That's what verse 23 says to us in Luke chapter 7. Verse 23 says, blessed, this is a beatitude, is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, if you allow your preconceived ideas about Jesus to lead you, preconceived notions about who Jesus is and what he should be doing for you, then I promise you, Jesus will become a stumbling block to you. Jesus won't be a roadmap for you. You're going to miss salvation. You're going to miss the blessing, listen, of knowing Jesus, of knowing the one and only Savior of the world. So we're answering the question this morning, how can I have no doubt that Jesus is is the only savior of the world. Well, the first thing I want to say to you from the text this morning is to look at what God is doing. Look at what God is doing. But there's another thing, and there's another way that we can have no doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. And here's the second thing. Not only can we look at what God is doing, but we need to listen to what God is saying. We need to listen to what God is saying. Luke chapter 7, verse 24, after John's messengers left... Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John, and he said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury live in Hollywood or in palaces. Verse 25, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. Jesus asked the crowd who's now standing in front of him, John's disciples have gone back to give John the answer. And he says to them, what did you go out to see when you went out to see John? Did you go out to see a reed swaying in the wind? Well, what does that mean, Pastor Matt? Well, it could mean one of two things, probably. If you go out into the forest, if you go out into the woods and you see a tree branch, you see a limb, you you see a reed, whatever it may be, swaying in the wind, it could be something ordinary, a reed, a branch, a tree, limb, it's ordinary and it's commonplace. Listen, or it could mean something like someone who is easily swayed by thoughts and opinions. In other words, what did you go out to see in John? Did you go out to see someone who was ordinary and commonplace? Did you go out to see someone who's, who seems easily influenced and, and someone who's unstable in their beliefs? If that's what you're going out to see, Jesus says to them, let me tell you and let me affirm to you, John was not ordinary. John was not usual. John was not easily blown about by the wind. That's a good word for preachers today. Men who should not be easily swayed by what culture says. Culture will never set the agenda at Story City Church. The word of God will always set the agenda. Jesus says about John. Jesus says about John, he was not ordinary. He's not easily blown about by the wind. He had a calling. He had a calling to be the anointed forerunner, the anointed herald who would signal the coming of Jesus. Now listen to what the Bible says in verse 27. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messengers ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Verse 28, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no greater than John, 
Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. You understand this, right? Malachi was the last of the writing prophets. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. John would never see the, uh, he would never see the tangible, visible, he never had the blessing of seeing the kingdom of God that Jesus was preaching come to earth. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets and would never see the fulfillment of the kingdom of God on earth. He would be put to death before them. But Jesus is saying here, the least follower of Christ among us in our midst this morning, the least follower among us is greater than John in the sense that that person gets to experience the blessing and the benefit of being part of the visible kingdom of God here on earth. But now listen to me. Now listen to me. That's great as we start talking about great men and women of God. John was a great man or woman of God. We could read of great men and women of God in scripture. But listen to me, church. That's not the point. John was not the point. The messenger is never the point. It's, he was never the point. It's easy to get caught up in John. John was a great man of God. He, he was a prophet and he wasn't easily swayed and he just said what was on his mind. But John was never the point. The messenger is never the point. The message is everything. The message is everything. John was great because of the message that he preached. John was great because of the Jesus that he was pointing people to. And now Luke says, and he begins to conclude our passage, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But look at verse 30 here. But the Pharisees, how many times do you read, but the Pharisees? But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So John's preaching this amazing message. And John is the anointed servant of God, heralding the coming of the kingdom of God. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. And Jesus defends all that. Don't mistake what's happening here. Jesus affirms all that and who John was and what he did. But then Luke adds this. Some listened to the message and followed the will of God. And some did not particularly the religious leaders. They rejected the purpose of God. Do you understand John's message was very simple? When he's out in the wilderness and he's out in the desert preaching, his message was very simple. We're separated from God because of our sin, and that's not good. And you need to repent of your sin. You need to agree with God about what God says about your sin, and you need to turn to God for forgiveness and then he adds, and be baptized as a testimony to it. And the scripture here tells us some accepted that message because they found hope, but some did not. In fact, some rejected it outright. Listen to me, church. This morning, can you hear God say what only God can say? And what is he saying? He's saying, you're not in a good place. You're separated from God. 
He's saying your sin has separated you from him and you need to be reconciled to God. And Jesus is saying what only Jesus can say. And he's saying, but I made a way for you to do that. And this is the thing that only God can say. Listen to me. And he says that in this book. He says that here in the Bible. He says that, listen to me, the message is everything. The messenger is nothing. He says it in this book. Church, listen to me. Do you trust what God says? Do you trust what God's word says? And if you have doubts this morning, listen to me. Your doubts are probably going to settle on whatever you believe about God's word to be true. That's where your doubts are probably going to settle. But I want to say to you this morning, this is a book that you can have great confidence in. It's a book that you can have tremendous confidence in. You know the Bible is the greatest bestseller of all time. You understand that, don't you? In 1995, the Guinness Book of World Records. 1995. How long ago was that? That's a long time. 1995. The Guinness Book of World Records says, estimated 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold and distributed. The next closest one... The quotations from Chairman Mao Zedong, under a billion. You know, the Bible has been fully translated from front to back, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. The Bible has been fully translated into almost 700 languages. The Bible has been partially translated into half the languages in the world, almost 3,300 languages. Think of your favorite author. They probably have a book in English. They may have a book in Spanish, and they may have a book in some other language. Jesus's book is translated into half the languages in the world. The Bible is the most influential book. Listen to me in all of world history. Read it for yourself. Read French literature. Read English literature. Read Shakespeare. You can't read Shakespeare without reading the Bible. The Bible is the most influential book and the most quoted book in all of world literature. Think about Homer's Iliad. We know that Homer's Iliad has approximately 643 older partial manuscripts. And even those partial manuscripts, none of them have the full story. The Bible has 5,300 New Testament manuscripts. The earliest Greek manuscript that we have was written 25 years after John wrote the, the, the letter to Revelation. Listen, the closer the manuscript is to reality, you understand this, the more credible it is. These manuscripts, all of them that we had, they're incredibly consistent. They all talk about the same things. When we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, what we found was all of these writings we have and all of these manuscripts we have, they all attest to the legitimacy of the Bible. Not only that, but archaeology confirms the legitimacy of the Bible. Archaeology, until 1961, there wasn't much that the world knew about Pontius Pilate. In fact, all the world knew about Pontius Pilate usually came from the Bible or possibly Josephus, who was a Jewish writer. But in 1961, the Biblical Archaeological Society says a stone tablet was found, and it confirms that Pontius Pilate was the procurator in Palestine. The Bible was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, all from different backgrounds, and the Bible has amazing consistency, even though it was written over such a long period of time by so many different people. 
The Old Testament has over 300 prophecies about Jesus, about the Messiah, and Jesus fulfills those prophecies. One author calculated the the, the chance that any man living could ever fulfill these prophecies. He calculated it to be one in, you got to bear with me, I love math, but this is over my head, not millions, not billions, not trillions, whatever comes after trillions. I don't know what that is. 100 whatever, we'll just call it zillions. In other words, 10 to the 17th power. Some of you nerds know what that means. It's over my head. I just know it means it's impossible if not God. This Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is credible. The Bible is God saying what only God can say. It's the book that tells us that God created It's the book that tells us that of the life-giving message of Jesus. It's the book that tells us that God came in flesh and he dwelt among us. It's the book that tells us that we need to be reconciled to God. It's the book that tells us that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for us. It's the book that tells us that Jesus was buried and resurrected on the third day. It's also the book that tells us that everyone who surrenders their life to Jesus will also be resurrected to new and eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Listen, can I encourage you today? Can I encourage you? When I doubt, I should study. When I doubt, I should study. When I doubt, I I, I need need to run to the words of life to confirm the things he's telling me. That's why we devote time. Listen, that's why we devote time to studying the word of God. If you've not heard me say, let me say it to you this morning. We believe this book is the loudest voice in our church. It's not my voice. It's not anybody on staff's voice. It's not any person in leadership's voice. It's not an elder's voice. The loudest voice in our church is the Bible. And we devote time to studying that Bible. It's why our kids' ministry is there in their rooms this morning studying the Bible on Sunday mornings. It's why our student ministry devotes time on Wednesday nights to study the Bible. It's why our men's ministry devotes time on Tuesday morning to study the Bible. It's why our women's ministry devotes time to study the Bible in large groups and in small group discipleship. It's why we devote time on Sunday morning every single week and why we encourage you to bring the Bible. I'm not creative enough to stand up here and do a song and dance for you and to inspire you and entertain you. It's why I ask you, open up your Bible this morning because it has the words of life. You can be certain that Jesus is the Savior of the world by looking at what God is doing and by listening to what God is saying. Well, I've got another three pages, and I think the best is really in these three pages, but I've got to close this morning because you've got to go to lunch. But I want to encourage you this morning. I really would like to get to these last few, but I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to close it out this morning. I just want to invite our band to come on up. And I don't know this morning, maybe you're dealing with doubts today. The last few verses point us to this idea that we will never have certainty about who God is and Jesus being the only Savior of the world when we resist what he's trying to do in our lives. 
This morning, I don't know if you've been resisting what God is doing, but I want to encourage you to seek out the word of God. I want you to seek out the work of God around you, and I believe with all of my heart, it will grow you in your faith. And so maybe this morning, you need to consider some areas of your life where you're resisting him. Maybe this morning, you need to consider some areas. I don't know what that area is. Maybe it's in relationship. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's a calling to ministry. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I just want to say to you, it's dangerous to resist the work of God in your life. And resisting the Holy Spirit of God and his activity in your life can lead you to a dangerous place. And so if God is calling you today and he's tugging on your heart and he's speaking to you today, I want to encourage you to respond. For some of you here, you've doubted the authenticity and the credibility of who God is what the Bible says about Jesus. And maybe today, it's a moment for you to place your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to beg you to do that. The Spirit of God did that to me at 17 years old in an auditorium like this, although much bigger. I was sitting on the fourth row, left side, four seats over, and I heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God. I could not refuse or could not resist what God was doing. And if God is doing that in your heart today, I beg you to give your life and your heart to Jesus. Trust him for salvation. There's nothing magical or mystical about it. As we just sing one last song, Marco and our staff is down front. You just come to Marco and say, I, I, I want to know more about giving my life to Jesus. He'd be happy to walk you through what it means to trust your life to him. And if you're a believer this morning and you're struggling with doubt, can I just encourage you and say, great men and women of faith, yes, even John the Baptist, wrestled with doubt. Your doubts are welcome here, but I want to encourage you in your doubts this morning. Look at what God is doing around you. Listen to what God is saying to you, and don't resist the work that God is doing in you. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for today. With absolute certainty, God, we declare the truth of Scripture. Jesus was God himself, the only Savior of the world, Lord and Savior of many in this auditorium, desires to be the Lord and Savior of others who have never given their life to Jesus. God, I pray for us in our doubts today, whatever it may be, that the Spirit of the living God speak so tremendously and so loudly and so strongly that we could not resist and would not resist work you want to do in us, Lord. In Jesus' name.